Matthew 7, 24 to 27 says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. This scripture is a warning to us that times of shaking will come. There's shaking in many ways. If anyone has been a Jesus follower for a while, the Lord can bring shaking internally. He can cause an internal conflict or cause you to to feel like a transition's happening in your own heart. Um, But he can also, shaking is not always from the Lord. And and that's where we don't know is shaking, did God cause this to happen or is God allowing this to happen? You know, there's that classic argument with that. Uh, But he does ensure that shaking will come. And he talks about how he uses shaking in our life to reveal our foundation. And we know that in the days to come, if you look at the eternal perspective, the Lord is very clear that who's built their house on the rock, they will endure. Who's put their trust in Jesus will uh, be with him forever and ever and ever. And so there's an eternal security that we know is coming that we're going to be tested on our, our life in Jesus. But then there's also the present day shaking. And I know that it's, it's easy to want comfort now for shake, you know, but I found in my life when shaking happens now, a lot of times it's God's grace that the shaking happens so that we can see what is our foundation. And when, when trials come and all of that, um, and I would rather the Lord shake me now and learn from that than be realizing I've been building on a, on a foundation that's not aligned and then have that revealed later, right? <laughs> Any homeowners know that or, or people who have gone through that? Uh, but so we were talking, we've been talking about this for the last year. Just prepare for the shaking. We, I had dreams seven years ago, 2011, J- June of 2011, of Tacoma. And I felt like the Lord was saying seven years of preparation for, for seven years of, of a transition happening. And, and I knew that there was shaking coming. I didn't know what it was going to be. And people, even as we've been praying, have just said, you know, just are preparing our hearts to, to be founded. And so, but this week in the Life Center community, we had some shaking anyone knows, and so you might not be aware of this yet, you might have be aware of this, but like I said last week, this is a community that's not just a life center community, it's kind of all different churches are coming together to pray, but I wanted you to be aware of it. Um, Like I said last week, we had a meeting Sunday night, and at that meeting Sunday night, they talked about Pastor Dean being removed at the pastor as life center church. There was some allegations that were brought up to the district, and the district walked through an investigation, and it presented to the board, and this thing happened pretty quick. And so we're going off in our summer, we're kind of doing this, and people are in and out, and uh, there's a very sober feel that this happened. And, uh, and so if you have seen the news, it's been out there, and I wanted to just process that a little bit with you guys, because when shaking happens, we, we can quickly go to opinions, <laughs> we can quickly go to a- accusations ourselves, or we can start playing the blame game and, and, and so we don't know how to react, and I want you to know that however you're reacting, it might not have affected you, and you might not even have been part of that community, but if it has, it's okay for it to affect you. 
Um, as a family, we have to process and, and go through stages of, of grief or stages of transition. Uh, the worst thing we can do is just deny it. Have you ever been in a spot where someone had something terrible happen to them and then they, they just kept smiling and smiling and smiling and, and it seemed abnormal? And then later you found out that they were, yeah, trying to, and that happens a lot of times for, you know, if you guys have been around a death in a family or a, usually there's one person has to be the strong one that keeps the whole family together. Anyone know what I'm talking about? And, and so everyone else is grieving while this person's hanging in there, but then you wait a year or nine months and, you know, and that's where even doing funerals, it's, it's hard to kind of get a sense. And I feel actually as hard as a minister to do funerals because you're, I almost fell, but you're only with some of these families for two or three days, and you know that's really not when they need people. They need people later, when all the food is gone and all of the memories and all the cards. And so, um, so there's been a shaking that's happened in our community. And um, I'm trusting that the Lord will use all things for good and that the Lord is not surprised at shaking. He's not, you know... He's not off the throne. <laughs> he's here, but he's also shaking. He's shaking his church, and he's shaking things. He's shaking things in us. He's shaking things in our families. He's shaking things in our community. And, and so I feel like it's not necessarily what happened, and we need to know what happened, and we need to be able to talk through that. But also there's an the aspect of how we respond and how do we move forward in our own lives and in our community and our family. And so, um, so what I want to talk about today is kind of stages of maturity of when shaking happens, how do we react to it? And how do we respond to it? And I was actually going to talk about this for growth and for gifts because I feel like how we mature and grow is a lot of times how we respond to shaking, how we respond to crisis in our life and in the moments of that. And so um, I was thinking about the seasons of shaking and how seasons of shaking are a lot of times linked to our maturity. And I think about people going from babies to, you know, to puberty, to adults. And I remember in my life as I was growing, you know, you get put in different environments. And I know it should be funny, but I was like, I was always around football a lot. But when I was in seventh grade, I had to play tackle football for the first time. And I was like, what in the world? And I was actually freaked out because I was a skinny guy, didn't have hardly any muscle on me. And all of a sudden I had to wear these big helmets and big pads and all this stuff. And I thought I've been around this my whole life, but now I'm going through it myself. And after the first day, I literally came home and wanted to quit football because I felt like it was so uncomfortable. And I found that when there's things that happen in our life that aren't what we maybe like or agree with or things, we can want to retreat back to security. And we find that thing that we did. And, and I know that that's, that's the temptation for us is to go into places of security and comfort. And that a lot of times can be a false comfort. But if we respond to the shaking and say, Lord, what are you doing in me? What are you doing in us? How do we go through that? That's where growth happens. And that's when we change into who God wants us to be. But it's through the seasons of shaking. And I talked about this about five months. No, maybe two months ago. I, my time is all off. But the difference between community and communitas, if you remember that. A lot of times we have community, and that community is a, bu a bunch of people that, that it's a good environment. And we like to be together. But when, when there's trials... If anyone has been in a trial before, the people that you're with through the trial is really where you have family. And, and communitas is this, is this Greek word that's like brothers born out of adversity. And I talked about the Lord of the Rings, and I talked about Frodo and Samwise, and, and I talked about Nemo getting out in the ocean and meeting Dory and all that stuff. Like when you get in the, the tough times, 
He was in the fish tank, and he was doing all right. Well, actually, the other fish were doing all right. But there wasn't reality. And we have to realize that in reality in our life, there's going to be trials. There's going to be all sorts of stuff. Because the Lord is actually waking up his church. He's waking us up. And so it's actually good when we go through that, right? Anyone who's been in a workout plan knows that there's seasons of plateaus. And if you hit a season of plateau where you're not challenged, that's kind of when atrophy starts happening. That's when you, but you always have to shake it up. And Tony Horton calls it muscle confusion, right? And sometimes the Lord does that to us in our life, whether it's a change of jobs or it's a change of environments or it's an internal toil. We have to respond to the shaking and what that looks like. And so I just had three stages as we get shaken that the Lord wants to take us through. Okay, and I'm going to use big words, which is kind of fun. So I'll just say three stages of maturity. Of maturing or growing. So you could take this message as developing your individual gifts. You could take this as just maturing in the body of Christ. And we also could take this as a family of God. How do we mature and grow? Ephesians 4 says that we're all going to be built up and be mature, not being infants anymore. And in this last week, I was just, I was praying, for, especially for those that maybe are infants in the body of Christ, those that are young and those who have, you know, if you've been around the world of church at first, everything seems like it's warm and fuzzy and it's beautiful. And then you realize that there actually are people just like you and they're not all perfect. And, and so part of that is the maturing of that. And I really believe that, that this is, whenever they're shaking, it's a test of our maturity and what we're relying on. I was thinking about Paul. He said, by this time, some of you should be teachers, but you're still infants. You haven't actually, you think you need solid food. You actually still need milk. But solid food is for the mature. And there's stages of maturing that we learn in. And I, yeah, I won't share any more about that. Um, but the first stage of maturity is what I call is having a theophany. A theophany. And, and this is, this word means a revelation of Jesus, a revelation of God. A theophany is a manifestation. And all throughout scripture, you see God revealing himself to people. Okay? And this is what we need. We need a theophany. We need to know who God is. Okay? Who God is. And you might think that this is a one-time thing in your life, but what I found is this is a continual process in your life. Because we all have in our hearts an image of God. Right? Based off of our family, our friends, what we heard at Sunday school or lack of Sunday school. Whatever it is, we have a paradigm of God. And what the Lord does is, I have a friend who always said he shakes our etch-a-sketch. Right? He shakes it. And, and he shakes us a little bit, and he changes us for the sake of revealing himself. Revealing himself. And I want to say in a new way, God hasn't changed, but yet who he is is so dynamic that there's layers of unveiling of who he is, right? If we got it all unveiled today of who he was, it would be probably overwhelming. We'd be in a coma for weeks. And years, you know? It says John in Revelation, when he saw Jesus, John the, uh, the disciple of Jesus was around Jesus for three years, one of his best friends. But later on in John's life, he was on an island alone, um, pretty much being persecuted and, and stuck there. And he had a revelation of the same Jesus he knew and was best friends with, closest with. But he said when he saw who Jesus really was, he fell down at his feet as though dead. and didn't recognize him, which is unbelievable, right? And so the Lord wants to reveal who he is. And, and that's why we pray. That's why we seek him. Lord, I want to, I want, 
But we have to be careful when we seek him to not try to seek him for him to show us who he has been, but who he is now and a different view of him, right? A broader view. And what that will do is it challenges us. It challenges our thinking and it challenges even maybe what we've had in our minds. And I think of this especially in areas where maybe we've been afraid of God or we haven't fully gone all in, if I want to say that word, like all in for Jesus. If there's areas we're holding back, whenever we're holding back in our life, it's because we have a bad view of who God is. Whether we're holding back our, even our love for each other, go not obeying the mission. And I was thinking about this in Luke 15, the story of the prodigal sons. If you guys know that story, there's the first son, it said he took all the wealth of the father. He had two sons and he went away and he basically squandered it all and he came to his senses and the father ran after his son and embraced him. And it's this beautiful picture as we talk about prodigal son. We, it's most of the time the person who totally rejected being in his presence, comes back, the father embraces the son. But I was thinking about this with the second son because the father had a hard time, harder time getting grips with the second son. And it says in Luke 15 that when the older brother saw the younger son come in, it says the older brother had been around for a long time. He had been around, but he hadn't really been in the house. It sounded like the older brother had been working the fields and laboring the fields. And so the older brother heard about what happened with the younger son. He didn't even ask the father what really happened. He actually, it says in the story, he went to one of the servants. And he said, what happened? And the servant told him. And the older brother got embittered because of what the father was doing. And verse 28, it says, the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look. All these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours has squandered your property with prostitutes come home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father says, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. So I've heard that. You guys might have heard that before, but I never noticed how the father actually went out to the older son too. It's not like the older son came in. The father went out. The father was pleading with him, right? But he said his heart was angry because he had a preconceived view of this hard father who never gave him anything. And he also had a preconceived view that he had to work really hard to get his father's blessing. And he had this works mentality where, look what I've been doing, look what I've been doing. Why haven't you given me anything? And he had kind of this earned earner mentality, a slave mentality, right? And you see there, he says, yet you never gave me anything. But then the father says, actually, all of it is yours, too. I'm just as generous with you as I, would have, as I am with your younger son. But you never asked me. You never came into my presence because you had a wrong view of me. Are you guys getting that? And so we have to be quick. Um, he heard about the father from others. He didn't pursue him himself. And so I believe that's actually harder in our lives. It's easier sometimes if we have the broken mentality, like, I just am a mess. I totally know I'm lost. It's easier when you admit your brokenness completely. It's harder when you have a righteousness or a self-righteousness to, to relearn who the Father is. That's why it's harder. I feel like people have been around religious environments for years. It's harder because you have a picture of this, but yet it's the wrong, it's not the complete picture. It might not be the completely wrong picture, but it's the incomplete picture, right? And so the Lord wanted to reveal himself to the older son and the younger son. And he wants to reveal himself to us. He wants to show himself. And it's good to say, Lord, what are you doing? Why are you doing it? Right? 
And so he'll use crisis to even reveal our heart and also reveal our response of are we going to go seek him? Are we going to say, Lord, who are you, right? Because most of the time when crisis happens, we in our minds think God is not good, God is not just, God doesn't care, right? But really, like, the Father is good, he's just, he's beautiful, right? Um, And I really believe that that's one of the biggest things even in our life is just to not get offended, to not get offended at God. And we can be doing all the right things and, and going through the motions, but in our hearts, if we're offended at God, right? The Lord wants to reveal his goodness to us, his generosity. And he's a generous father. He's a loving father. And even with gifts, he's not a perfectionistic father. He's not asking for perfection. He's asking for humility. He's just saying, come to me. Ask me. Right? Draw me. And so um, this theophany happens a lot of times. You can read all the scriptures. I think about Saul and Paul. He was going on the road and a bright light shined on him. Right? And he he didn't tell Paul what to do first. He showed himself to Paul. Right? So it's not a religious thing. He wants to show himself to people, okay? And so we get this theophany of who God is. Um, And then we get an epiphany. Epiphany of who we are. Okay? I'm writing a little better today. And this is where we have to respond, okay? Because as we see him, as he gives us a new paradigm of who he is, now we have to respond, right? We have to respond. And so that's what I love about our relationship with the Lord is we see who we are in light of who he is. And we can never see who we are in light of unless we know him. So we can be thinking about our life and what we like to do and our passions and our abilities and our gifts and our calling. But it's incomplete without knowing who he is. And as we know who he is, he starts revealing who we are. And also he'll reveal who we're not. Right? And this is good. And it can be a big thing or it can be a lot of smaller things. I mean, very simply, I had a very, some small things right after I gave my life to Jesus where I thought of myself as this kind of person doing this kind of thing. One of them was, it was the dumbest thing, but I, I never wore hats growing up. Like, from sixth grade on, I never wore a hat. And I just thought I didn't look good in hats. Okay, it's kind of a weird analogy, but that's me. And, and I remember just even like, Lord, I, I, was, I don't even was wrestling it with it. I was like, why don't I ever like to wear hats? And all of a sudden, I got a picture in my mind. And in the picture, it showed me with a baseball hat in sixth grade. And I had just gotten hurt for something. It was a field day at recess. And I had crutches on, and I had a baseball hat. And someone came up to me like, oh, you look so dumb today. Like, just something like that. And so that, and the Lord was like, that wasn't me. I was like, oh, so you don't think I look dumb, Lord? No. But it was this random punk little sixth grader that spoke this thing into me, but it built a paradigm in my life of who I was, that I'm just not a hat guy, right? So now I wear hats. Every, every, it's all right, okay? And then at, from that day on, I'm like, okay, Lord, that's not who I am, you know? There was another thing that happened when I played football is I always thought I was slow. And so I even trained kind of in this, I ran like a 5'2", 5'3", If anyone knows 40-yard dashes, it's kind of a slow time. And... And then after I started walking with Jesus, I, there was one day I just sensed the Lord, and this might be too super spiritual for me, you, so you can just discount it, but I felt like the Lord was like, Chad, who said you're slow? I don't know. And I thought about it. It might have been a coach. It might have been myself. It could have been, and I sensed the Lord was like, Chad, you're not slow. I didn't make you slow. So I started training differently. I didn't, actually, I didn't train differently. I did the same things. But in that year, my 40 time went from like a 5'2 to like a 4'8" which is like four-tenths of a second, and a lot faster, and it was like, oh. And I feel like in our mind, we have burdens. We have things about who we are. We have things about our limitations a lot of times. 
And so I believe that's why we don't step out in faith sometimes is because we're filled with limitations. And then when shaking comes, we can get afraid and we hold on to who we are. But really, a lot of times the Lord is showing us who we're really meant to be. And I even see that as the church. When shaking comes, it's going to make the church beautiful and radiant and glorious. The Lord wants his church to be shining, right, before he comes. A beautiful, spotless bride. And so just like in the natural, we don't get better without trials. In the spiritual, in the body, we got to be opened and not, you know, fall away from that. And so all throughout scripture this happens. He wants to speak our identity of who we are. And it's happened a lot of times with name changes. You see this like with Saul to Paul or, or um, Simon to Peter, um, Jacob to Israel, you know, different things where he calls them their name, and their name means something different than they thought it meant, right? The name Jacob means deceiver, and he was a deceiver. But he wrestled with God, and he had an epiphany or theophany, and then God changed his name because he, it's not like his, his nature completely got changed, but he spoke into who he really was. His new name, Israel, right? And that name might not have felt better, but it was one who wrestles with God, right? So he wasn't a deceiver. And I love there's a story in Revelation, it says, or a verse in Revelation 2.17, it says, whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. Have you guys read that verse before? And there's this beautiful picture of the Lord based off of people who have been victorious, who have overcome, who have not got offended at the Lord, not got offended and stayed in it, who were victorious, who held strong. And the Lord gave him this white stone. And I thought, what in the world's a white stone? And looking throughout um, Scripture and even um, talking to some of my, my friends, the white stone had multiple meanings. It was fascinating. One of the stones was a stone of acquittal. In the Mediterranean days, in those days, they would do trials where the juror on the way to the trial would pick up two stones, a black and a white, and he would go to the trial, and then when it was time to have a verdict, he would either put the black stone in or the white stone. And so the white stone was that stone of acquittal, that you're free, that you're innocent, right? And obviously in our life, like, if the world were to judge us, we have a lot of black stones, but the Lord supernaturally can take the black stones on himself, right? And then gives us the white stone and says, you're free. You're free. I paid your price. Then it, there's also a, another stone that they had, and it was called um, a tessera hospitalis. Have you ever heard that before? But it's a stone they gave people who had influence or who won prizes. So, like, for example, a gladiator. If he would win a battle, and the king saw him win a battle, he'd give him this white stone, and he'd write his name on it, and it was like admittance to the palace. And whenever he'd hold the stone, he would have access and he'd be able to go into places he couldn't go before because he had a stone that represented his, the authority of the king. Isn't that awesome? But then you see it has a new name on it. And that's what I love is that there's a new name. There's a secret name, it says, a name only known between the Lord and the person who receives it. And I would encourage you guys that there's a unique part of who you are that the Lord knows. And he wants to show us who we really are, who he called us to be, who he created us to be. And to do that, we have to let go of who we think we are, or our limitations, or our perfectionistic spirit, or our fear of failure, or all of the words that were spoken against us. The Lord wants to remove those, and as he shows us who he is, then we can start being who we are meant to be, right? So it goes from theophany to epiphany, and then from an epiphany to the journey. And I couldn't think of another word that rhymed it, so forgive me. But 
Now we go into the journey. When you see who God is through shaking and then we see who we are, we're forced to respond. We have to respond. We can't just get that view of God. We have to actually walk it out. We have to go into it. We have to step in faith. And this is where I see the Lord taking us, a lot of us who are growing in our gifts. The Lord wants to challenge us in faith and even as the body to move in faith of going from, from one place to the other. And there's this whole principle of leaving and cleaving, and we know it scripturally, where the Lord says, leave your father and mother and be united to your wife. And we see that throughout scripture with Abraham and without um, many other mighty men and women of God, where they have to leave a place to go to a place. And this is where we start journeying with the Lord. We journey with him. We don't have to journey on our own, but we journey with him. And I was thinking about a couple scriptures in John 15. Jesus says, very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. And Jesus had this amazing perspective of, I don't have to do it all on my own. I just see what the father does. And when the father shows me who he is or what he wants me to do, I go. And I do that. And I go with him. And Jesus later said to the disciples, I don't call you servants, but friends. Friends know their master's business. Friends know the master's business, right? You're friends. And that's where as we journey with the Lord, it's with the Lord. We're co-creating with the Lord, right? And that's where we have to step out of our comfort zone of sometimes waiting for us to get a word of the Lord to do something or a hundred confirmations. You know, there's times that we're actually walking with the Lord. And he might tell you to do it, or he might not. He might just say, what's in your heart? Go for it. There's a story of David, if you guys remember the story in 2 Samuel. It was David had built this whole palace, and, and in 2 Samuel he says, after the king was settled in his palace, and the Lord had given him rest for all his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, here I am, living in a house of cedar, while the ark of God remains in a tent. So he was just hanging out, David was, with this prophet Nathan. And they were just talking, and David felt safe, so he was sharing his dreams. And then Nathan just says, whatever's in your heart, whatever's in your mind, do it. And then Nathan has a dream that night, and the dream, the Lord confirms what David was feeling. And I love that picture because it shows David not just as a, a servant, but David as a friend. And that the Lord might put things in our hearts, and also to say, don't be afraid, but what he's put in your heart, go do it. Have you guys ever had that before? And I have that with my kids sometimes. You know, if they're looking for answers, what should I do? What should I do? What should I do? Sometimes it get really tiring, actually, especially during summer break. But there's a spot of like, no, I've already put it in your heart. Like, I want to walk with you. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to, you know, shrink back. But what I put in your heart, do it. And I would just say in this season, even for us and in the season of the church and in your, the season of your life, is that we have to trust that this journey is not something we're going to do isolated on our own. We don't have to figure out our own gifts. We don't have to figure out our own place. That we do it with a God who's, who's always there, right? And we do it with each other. And there's a safety when we do it with the Lord and we do it with each other. And I really believe that we have to break off a of fear of taking steps in faith, taking steps in obedience, <laughs> taking steps even discovering our gifts. And I believe there's a lot of us that have so much inside of us, but there's a perfectionistic spirit that we have maybe been told that we're not good at something, so we just never do it. Or we're afraid of failing. Anyone like that? And there's a place of freedom knowing that as our hearts, as we know the Lord, he's a good father, he's gracious, 
and he's going to guide us along the way. And he doesn't care if we really mess up. The only way we can mess up is not taking risks, right? And that's where when you see the gospel versus the American church, the American, or not even the American church, the American dream, I'm sorry. The American dream is independence, security, <laughs> stability, right? The gospel is dependence and risk, right? It's completely opposite. And so we either enter into the world of being independent and being safe, or we enter into the world of the spirit, which is being taking risks and being completely dependent. When you're completely dependent, then there's, it can be a, there's a fear involved, but also there's a freedom to that, right? There's a trust that involved. So I just want to pray for us today that we can just enter into that trust, trust of who the Lord is. It could be an individual thing. It could be a family thing. But also, I just think our community, there's an area that we trust the Lord. And I mean, I want to pray for the Life Center community. I want to pray for our board. We have a couple board members here. Um, and just trust that the Lord will see the church through the process. He'll three, see his church through the process. He'll see us through the process, you know. And I'm praying that we as a church, when times are shaking, come, we will respond. And we will say yes, okay?